section sixteen of beacon lights of history volume one the old pagan civilizations this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by k hand beacon lights of history volume one the old pagan civilizations by john lord literary genius part one the greek and roman classics we know but little of the literature of antiquity until the greeks applied to it the principles of art the sanskrit language has revealed the ancient literature of the hindus which is chiefly confined to mystical religious poetry and which has already been mentioned in the chapter on ancient religions there was no history worthy the name in india the egyptians and babylonians recorded the triumphs of warriors and domestic events but those were mere annals without literary value it is true that the literary remains of egypt show a reading and writing people as early as three thousand years before christ and in their various styles of pen language reveal a remarkable variety of departments and topics treated books of religion of theology of ethics of medicine of astronomy of magic of mythic poetry of fiction of personal correspondence etc the difficulties of deciphering them however and their many peculiarities and formalisms of style render them rather of curious historical and archaeological than of literary interest the chinese annals also extend back to a remote period for confucius wrote history as well as ethics but chinese literature has comparatively little interest for us as also that of all oriental nations except the hindu vedas and the persian zend avesta and a few other poems showing great fertility of the imagination with a peculiar tenderness and pathos accordingly as i wish to show chiefly the triumphs of ancient genius when directed to literature generally and especially as has had a direct influence upon our modern literature i confine myself to that of greece and rome even our present civilization delights in the masterpieces of the classical poets historians orators and essayists and seeks to rival them long before christianity became a power the great literary artists of greece had reached perfection in style and language especially in athens to which city youths were sent to be educated as to a sort of university town where the highest culture was known educated romans were as familiar with the greek classics as they were with those of their own country and could talk greek as the modern cultivated germans talk french without the aid of greece rome could never have reached the civilization to which she attained how rich in poetry was classical antiquity whether sung in the greek or latin language in all those qualities which give immortality classical poetry has never been surpassed whether in simplicity in passion in fervor in fidelity to nature in wit or in imagination it existed from the early times of greek civilization and continued to within a brief period of the fall of the roman empire with the rich accumulation of ages the romans were familiar they knew nothing indeed of the solitary grandeur of the jewish muse or the nature myths of the anti-homeric singers but they possessed the iliad and odyssey with their wonderful truthfulness their clear portraiture of character their absence of all affection their serenity and cheerfulness their good sense and healthful sentiments withal so original that the germ of almost every character which has since figured in epic poetry can be found in them we see in homer a poet of the first class holding the same place in literature that plato holds in philosophy or newton in science and exercising a mighty influence on all the ages which have succeeded him 
he was born probably at smyrna an ionian city the dates attributed to him range from the seventh to the twelfth century before christ herodotus puts him at eight hundred fifty b c for nearly three thousand years his immortal creations have been the delight and the inspiration of men of genius and they are as marvelous to us as they were to the athenians since they are exponents of the learning as well as of the consecrated sentiments of the heroic ages we find in them no pomp of words no far-fetched thoughts no theatrical turgidity no ambitious speculations no indefinite longings but we see the manners and customs of the primitive nations the sights and wonders of the external world the marvelously interesting traits of human nature as it was and is and with these we have lessons of moral wisdom all recorded with singular simplicity yet astonishing artistic skill we find in the homeric narrative accuracy delicacy naturalness with grandeur sentiment and beauty such as phidias represented in his statues of zeus no poems have ever been more popular and none have extorted greater admiration from critics like shakespeare homer is a kind of bible to both the learned and unlearned among all peoples and ages one of the prodigies of the world his poems form the basis of greek literature and are the best understood and the most widely popular of all grecian compositions the unconscious simplicity of the homeric narrative its high moral tone its vivid pictures its graphic details and its religious spirit create an enthusiasm such as few works of genius can claim moreover it presents a painting of society with its simplicity and ferocity its good and evil passions its tenderness and its fierceness such as no other poem affords its influence on the popular mythology of the greeks has been already alluded to if homer did not create the grecian theogony he gave form and fascination to it nor is it necessary to speak of any other grecian epic when the iliad and the odyssey attest the perfection which was attained one hundred and twenty years before hesiod was born grote thinks that the iliad and the odyssey were produced at some period between eight fifty b c and seven seventy six b c in lyrical poetry the greeks were no less remarkable indeed they attained to what may be called absolute perfection owing to the intimate connection between poetry and music and the wonderful elasticity and adaptiveness of their language who has surpassed pindar in artistic skill his triumphal odes are paeans in which piety breaks out in expressions of the deepest awe and the most elevated sentiments of moral wisdom they alone of all his writings have descended to us but these made up as they are of odic fragments songs dirges and panegyrics show the great excellence to which he attained he was so celebrated that he was employed by the different states and princes of greece to compose choral songs for special occasions especially for the public games although a theban he was held in the highest estimation by the athenians and was courted by kings and princes born in thebes 522 b c he died probably in his eightieth year being a contemporary with Aeschylus in the Battle of Marathon. We possess also fragments of Sappho, Simonides, Anacreon, and others, enough to show that could the lyrical poetry of Greece be recovered, we should probably possess the richest collection that the world has produced. Greek dramatic poetry was still more varied and remarkable. Even the great masterpieces of Sophocles and Euripides, now extant, were regarded by their contemporaries as inferior to many other Greek tragedies utterly unknown to us. The great creator of the Greek drama was Aeschylus, born at Ulysses, 525 B.C. 
It was not till the age of forty-one that he gained his first prize. Sixteen years afterward, defeated by Sophocles, he quitted Athens in disgust, and went to the court of Hiero, king of Syracuse. But he was always held, even in Athens, in the highest honor, and his pieces were frequently reproduced on the stage. It was not so much the object of Aeschylus to amuse an audience as to instruct and elevate it. He combined religious feeling with lofty moral sentiment, and had unrivaled power over the realm of astonishment and terror. At his summons, says Sir Walter Scott, the mysterious and tremendous volume of destiny, in which is inscribed the doom of gods and men, seemed to display its leaves of iron before the appalled spectators. The more than mortal voices of deities, titans, and departed heroes were heard in awful conference. Heaven bowed and its divinities descended earth yawned and gave up the pale spectras of the dead and yet more undefined and ghastly forms of those infernal deities who struck horror into the gods themselves his imagination dwells in the loftiest regions of the old mythology of greece his tone is always pure and moral though stern and harsh he appeals to the most violent passions and is full of the boldest metaphors in sublimity aeschylus has never been surpassed he was in poetry what phidias and michael angelo were in art the critics say that his sublimity of diction is sometimes carried to an extreme, so that his language becomes inflated. His characters, like his sentiments, were sublime. They were gods and heroes of colossal magnitude. His religious views were Homeric, and he sought to animate his countrymen to deeds of glory, as it became one of the generals who fought at Marathon to do. He was an unconscious genius, and worked like Homer without a knowledge of artistic laws he was proud and impatient and his poetry was religious rather than moral he wrote seventy plays of which only seven are extant but these are immortal among the greatest creations of human genius like the dramas of shakespeare he died in sicily in the sixty-ninth year of his age the fame of sophocles is scarcely less than that of aeschylus he was twenty-seven years of age when he publicly appeared as a poet he was born in colonus in the suburbs of athens four ninety five b c and was the contemporary of Herodotus, of Pericles, of Pindar, of Phidias, of Socrates, of Simon, of Euripides, the era of great men, the period of the Peloponnesian War, when everything that was elegant and intellectual culminated at Athens. Sophocles had every element of character and person to fascinate the Greeks, the beauty of face, symmetry of form, skill in gymnastics, calmness and dignity of manner, a cheerful and amiable temper, a ready wit, a meditative piety, a spontaneity of genius, an affectionate admiration for talent, and patriotic devotion to his country. His tragedies, by the universal consent of the best critics, are the perfection of the Greek drama, and they moreover maintain that he has no rival, Aeschylus and Shakespeare alone excepted, in the whole realm of dramatic poetry. It was the peculiarity of Sophocles to excite emotions of sorrow and compassion, he loves to paint forlorn heroes he was human in all his sympathies perhaps not so religious as aeschylus but as severely ethical not so sublime but more perfect in art his sufferers are not the victims of an inexorable destiny but of their own follies nor does he even excite emotion apart from a moral end he lived to be ninety years old and produced the most beautiful of his tragedies in his eightieth year the oedipus at colonus Sophocles wrote the astonishing number of 130 plays and carried off the first prize 24 times. His Antigone was written when he was 45 and when Euripides had already gained a prize. 
only seven of his tragedies have survived but these are priceless treasures euripides the last of the great triumvirate of the greek tragic poets was born at athens 485 b c he had not the sublimity of aeschylus nor the touching pathos of sophocles nor the stern simplicity of either but in seductive beauty and successful appeal to passion was superior to both in his tragedies the passion of love predominates but it does not breathe the purity of sentiment which marked the tragedies of aeschylus and sophocles it approaches rather to the tone of the modern drama he paints the weakness and corruptions of society and brings his subjects to the level of common life he was the pet of the sophists and was pantheistic in his views he does not attempt to show ideal excellence and his characters represent men not as they ought to be but as they are especially in corrupt states of society euripides wrote ninety-five plays of which eighteen are extant whatever objection may be urged to his dramas on the score of morality nobody can question their transcendent art or their great originality with the exception of shakespeare all succeeding dramatists have copied the three great greek tragic poets whom we have just named especially racine who took sophocles for his model even as the great epic poets of all ages have been indebted to homer the greeks were no less distinguished for comedy than for tragedy both tragedy and comedy sprang from feasts in honor of bacchus and as the jests and frolics were found misplaced when introduced into grave scenes a separate province of the drama was formed and comedy arose at first it did not derogate from the religious purposes which were at the foundation of the greek drama it turned upon parodies in which the adventures of the gods were introduced by way of sport as in describing the appetite of hercules or the cowardice of bacchus the comic authors entertained spectators by fantastic and gross displays by the exhibition of buffoonery and the pantomime but the taste of the athenians was too severe to relish such entertainments and comedy passed into ridicule of public men and measures and the fashions of the day the people loved to see their great men brought down to their own level comedy however did not flourish until the morals of society were degenerated and ridicule had become the most effective weapon wherewith to assail prevailing follies in modern times comedy reached its culminating point when society was both the most corrupt and the most intellectual as in france when moliere pointed his envenomed shafts against popular vices in greece it flourished in the age of socrates and the sophists when there was great bitterness in political parties and an irrepressible desire for novelties comedy first made itself feel as a great power in cratinus who espoused the side of simon against pericles with great bitterness and vehemence many were the comic writers of that age of wickedness and genius but all yielded precedence to aristophanes of whose writings only his plays have reached us never were libels on persons of authority and influence uttered with such terrible license he attacked the gods the politicians the philosophers and the poets of athens even private citizens did not escape from his shafts and women were the subjects of his irony socrates was made the butt of his ridicule when most revered cleon in the height of his power and euripides when he had gained the highest prizes aristophanes has furnished jests for rabelais hints to swift and humor for moliere in satire in derision in invective and bitter scorn he has never been surpassed no modern capital would tolerate such unbounded license yet no plays in their day were ever more popular or more fully exposed to follies which could not otherwise be reached aristophanes is called the father of comedy and his comedies are of great historical importance although his descriptions are doubtless caricatures 
he was patriotic in his intentions even setting up as a reformer his peculiar genius shines out in his clouds the greatest of his pieces in which he attacks the sophists he wrote fifty-four plays he was born in 444 bc and died 380 bc thus it would appear that in the three great departments of poetry the epic the lyric and the dramatic the old greeks were great masters and have been the teachers of all subsequent nations and ages the romans in these departments were not the equals of the greeks but they were very successful copyists and will bear comparison with modern nations if the romans did not produce a homer they can boast of a virgil if they had no pindar they furnished a horace and in satire they transcended the greeks the romans produced no poetry worthy of notice until the greek language and literature were introduced among them it was not till the fall of tarentum that we read of a roman poet livius andronicus a greek slave 240 b c rudely translated the odyssey into latin and was the author of various plays all of which have perished and none of which according to cicero are worth a second perusal still andronicus was the first to substitute the greek drama for the old lyrical stage poetry one year after the first punic war he exhibited the first roman play as the creator of the drama he deserves historical notice though he has no claim to originality but like a schoolmaster as he was pedantically labored to imitate the culture of the greeks his plays formed the commencement of the roman translation literature and naturalized the greek meters in latium even though they were curiosities rather than works of art navius 235 bc produced a play at rome and wrote both epic and dramatic poetry but so little has survived that no judgment can be formed of his merits he was banished for his invectives against the aristocracy who did not relish severity of comedy Momsen regards navius as the first of the romans who deserves to be ranked among the poets his language was free from stiffness and affectation and his verses had a graceful flow in meters he closely adhered to andronicus plautus was perhaps the first great dramatic poet whom the romans produced and his comedies are still admired by critics as both original and fresh he was born in umbria 257 b c and was contemporaneous with publius and Cneus scipio he died 184 b c the first development of roman genius in the field of poetry seems to have been the dramatic in which still the greek authors were copied plautus might be mistaken for a greek were it not for the painting of roman manners for his garb is essentially greek plautus wrote one hundred thirty plays not always for the stage but for the reading public he lived about the time of the second punic war before the theatre was fairly established at rome his characters although founded on greek models act speak and joke like romans he enjoyed great popularity down to the latest times of the empire while the purity of his language as well as the felicity of his wit was celebrated by the ancient critics cicero places his wit on a par with the old attic comedy while jerome spent much time in reading his comedies even though they afterward cost him tears of bitter regret modern dramatists owe much to plautus moliere has imitated him in his avar and shakespeare in his comedy of errors lessing pronounces the captivi to be the finest comedy ever brought upon the stage he translated this play into german and it has also been admirably translated into english the great excellence of plautus was the masterly handling of the language and the adjusting the parts for dramatic effect his humor broad and fresh produced irresistible comic effects no one ever surpassed him in his vocabulary of nicknames and his happy jokes hence he maintained his popularity in spite of his vulgarity 
terence shares with plaudus the throne of roman comedy he was a carthaginian slave born 185 bc but was educated by a wealthy roman into whose hands he fell and ever after associated with the best society and travelled extensively in greece he was greatly inferior to plautus in originality and has not exerted a like lasting influence but he wrote comedies characterized by great purity of diction which have been translated into all modern languages terence whom momsen regards as the most polished elegant and chaste of all the poets of the newer comedy closely copied the greek menander unlike plautus he drew his characters from good society and his comedies if not moral were decent plautus wrote for the multitude terence for the few plautus delighted in noisy dialogue and slang expressions terence confined himself to quiet conversation in elegant expressions for which he was admired by cicero and quintilian and other great critics he aspired to the approval of the cultivated rather than the applause of the vulgar and it is a remarkable fact that his comedy supplanted the more original productions of plautus in the later years of the republic showing that the literature of the aristocracy was more prized than that of the people even in a degenerate age the thysites of varius was regarded in its day as equal to greek tragedies Aeneas composed tragedies in a vigorous style and was regarded by the romans as the parent of their literature although most of his works have perished virgil borrowed many of his thoughts and was regarded as the prince of roman song in the time of cicero the latin language is greatly indebted to him pacavius imitated aeschylus in the loftiness of style from the times before the augustan age no tragic production has reached us although quintilian speaks highly of accius especially of the vigor of his style but he merely imitated the greeks the only tragedy of the romans which has reached us was written by seneca the philosopher in epic poetry the romans accomplished more though even here they are still inferior to the greeks the aeneid of virgil has certainly survived the material glories of rome it may not have come up to the exalted ideal of its author it may be defaced by political flatteries it may not have the force and originality of the iliad but it is superior in art and delineates the passion of love with more delicacy than can be found in any greek author in soundness of judgment in tenderness of feeling in chastened fancy in picturesque description in delineation of character in matchless beauty of diction and in splendor of versification it has never been surpassed by any poem in any language and proudly takes its place among the imperishable works of genius henry thompson in his history of roman literature says availing himself of the pride and superstition of the roman people the poet traces the origin and establishment of the eternal city to those heroes and actions which had enough in them of what was human and ordinary to excite the sympathies of his countrymen intermingled with persons and circumstances of an extraordinary and superhuman character to awaken their admiration and awe no subject could have been more happily chosen it has been admired also for its perfect unity of action for while the episodes command the richest variety of description they are always subordinate to the main object of the poem which is to impress the divine authority under which aeneas first settled in italy the wrath of juno upon which the whole fate of aeneas seems to turn is at once that of a woman and a goddess the passion of dido and her general character brings us nearer to the present world but the poet is continually introducing higher and more effectual influences until by the intervention of gods and men the trojan name is to be continued in the roman and thus heaven and earth are appeased perhaps no one work of man has had such a wide and profound influence as this poem of virgil 
a textbook in all schools since the revival of learning the model of the carlovigian poets the guide of dante the oracle of tasso virgil was born seventy years before christ and was seven years older than augustus his parentage was humble but his facilities of education were great he was a most fortunate man enjoying the friendship of augustus and massinaeus fame in his own lifetime leisure to prosecute his studies and ample rewards for his labors he died at brundisium at the age of fifty in lyrical poetry the romans can boast of one of the greatest masters of any age or nation the odes of horace have never been transcended and will probably remain through all ages the delight of scholars they may not have the deep religious sentiment and unity of imagination and passion which belong to the greek lyrical poets but as works of art of exquisite felicity of expression of agreeable images they are unrivalled even in the time of juvenal his poems were the common school books of roman youth horace born sixty five b c like virgil was also a favored man enjoying the friendship of the great and possessing ease fame and fortune but his longings for retirement and his disgust at the frivolities around him are a sad commentary on satisfied desires his odes compose but a small part of his writings his epistles are the most perfect of his productions and rank with the georgics of virgil and the satires of juvenal as the most perfect form of roman verse his satires are also admirable but without the fierce vehemence and lofty indignation that characterized those of juvenal it is the folly rather than the wickedness of vice which horace describes with such playful skill and such keenness of observation he was the first to mould the latin tongue to the greek lyric measures quintilian's criticism is endorsed by all scholars lyricorum horatius fere solus legi dignus in verbis felicissimi adal no poetry was ever more severely elaborated than that of horace and the melody of the language imparts to it a peculiar fascination if inferior to pindar in passion and loftiness it glows with a more genial humanity and with purer wit it cannot be enjoyed fully except by those versed in the experiences of life who perceive in it a calm wisdom a penetrating sagacity a sober enthusiasm and a refined taste which are unusual even among the masters of human thought it is the fashion to depreciate the original merits of this poet as well as those of virgil plautus and terence because they derived so much assistance from the greeks but the greeks also borrowed from one another pure originality is impossible it is the mission of art to add to its stores without hoping to monopolize the whole realm even shakespeare the most original of modern poets was vastly indebted to those who went before him and he has not escaped the hypercriticism of minute observers in this mention of lyrical poetry i have not spoken of catullus unrivalled in tender lyric the greatest poet before the augustan era he was born in eighty seven b c and enjoyed the friendship of the most celebrated characters one hundred and sixteen of his poems have come down to us most of which are short and many of them defiled by great coarseness and sensuality critics say however that whatever he touched he adorned that his vigorous simplicity pungent wit startling invective and felicity of expression make him one of the great poets of the latin language End of section sixteen.